The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex Lounge is Richard Murray, the Chief Executive JB Hi-Fi, one of the biggest retail businesses in Australia and one that has done incredibly well throughout the pandemic as people stocked up on products for their homes, new TVs, entertainment systems, and the like. Richard has been the CEO of JB Hi-Fi since 2014, and in April this year, it was announced that he would be leaving to join Premier Investments, which include the brands of Just Jeans, Portman's, Peter Alexander, and Smiggle. Richard, thanks for chatting to us. You're clearly a man that's in demand and off to start a new chapter in Premier Investments. It must be a nice feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. Uh, 18 years at JB. You know, I started at JB when I was 26. It's been a massive part. Um, I'm only 45, so I've spent more than half my life at JB, but also the opportunity to work with, um, you know, uh, a different company after so many years in, in Premier with some great brands. Um, obviously, working with Sol Lu is an exciting opportunity. So really, um, to close one chapter at JB, which has been such, a, such an awesome part of my life, but also a new chapter is really exciting. So from the outside, it looks like the company is in great financial shape. That's JB Hi-Fi I'm, I'm talking about here. Things are going well. So why would you leave? It, it really comes down to um, Sol gave me a call. I, I, I knew him well, but not particularly well. And we caught up maybe four or five times over the preceding two or three years. Um, and we had a chat about what he's trying to achieve at Premier, where I was at at JB. And I guess it did really come down to 18 years at JB, seven years as CEO, and at 45 thought, you know, if you if you think about chapters in your life, I've sort of basically done 10 years at Deloitte, where I had a great time in audit and corporate finance, not quite 20 years at JB, and then what did I want to do for the next decade? And I thought it would be a good, good opportunity to, uh, to try a different type of retail, and so I'm really excited. And hey, why not? Why wouldn't you try something new? It's a great opportunity for you. I mean, you've been now in the business of selling consumer goods, TVs, computers, phones, and other electronics for such a long time, and you're now making the transition into fashion. How big an adjustment do you think that'll be? Obviously, the products are different. The 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 reality is retail's detail, and there's a lot of cliches in retail, but giving the customer what they want is a pretty good place to start in retail, making sure the staff, the team in store feel valued and, and passionate about what they're doing. 
uh, and also making sure you keep your costs in check. So the, the what I would think is the basics of any good retail chain um, stand the test of time. And, you know, I, I guess if you think about what Premier Investments is, it is fundamentally a business with, you know, an investment in Breville, it's got an investment in Meyer. Uh, then it's got these retail brands, Peter Alexander, Smiggle, the, the Just Group business. Uh, so we, we've got a lot of things happening in that business. And I'm really excited about, uh, you know, Souls definitely wants to grow premier investments. Um, and I'm really excited about the opportunity that presents. So I think the basics are the same. Uh, what we're trying to achieve, uh, you know, every business wants to grow. But I'm really excited about... Um, you know, I guess the opportunities I've had at JB, good guys. You know, we did a, a big acquisition. We've bedded that down. Uh, you know, we've we've had things like a JB store to door, which was our sort of, um, you know, when we're in the middle of COVID in Victoria, we spun up up to a hundred cars we had on the road with our staff to keep our staff employed, delivering to our customers, and we got great feedback in Victoria at the time. We're getting awesome feedback in New South Wales at the moment. So just you know, being able to um, bring to a great business at Premier, you know, some of the learnings at JB, but also work with the team to continue to, you know, I'm big on empowerment and just really take that, the business to the next level and continue its strong track record of growth, which it's enjoyed over the last decade. It's a long time, right? You at JB Hi-Fi, what's you saying, 17 years, that's a long time. Do you think you're going to miss it? Oh, you know, some of my best friends are at JB. So um, it is not a place it was probably the toughest decision I've ever made. Um, you know, my wife, Jackie and I, we spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, you know, a CEO role is a partnership. You, um, it's, it's, as I said to Sol, you're getting two for the price of one because you're getting Jackie and I, and um, it's, you know, she, her, she's been a massive support of mine. It's, you know, a CEO job is, it's got lots of rewards, but there's a lot people don't see. It's there's a lot of soul searching. There's some really tough decisions, and um, you know, and and people say it can be lonely. And I think until you've been in the role, yes. it, it is hard. And so you rely on your, your your sort of partner outside work to be, you know, sometimes that steady state when you've got a bit on it when things are at work. So, from my perspective, um, I look at. Um, the opportunity to try something new um, and, you know, that's really exciting. I think, Jackie, if you're listening, thank you for being such a great mystery shopper at JB Hi-Fi. You'll be missed as well, but um, we'll... Um... i tell you what, if there's a mystery shop, she, she <laughs> enjoys consumer electronics, but she might have deferred to our children. When well, it comes I think to she... fashion, there is constant mystery shopping. So. Well, I think she's going to have a better time at Premier than at JB's. Let, let me say that. Um, there's a uh... lot of Peter Alexander pyjamas in the house, so... Well, maybe uh, the last question I want to ask you about JB Hi-Fi, if you think about your time there and given that you sort of grew up at JB Hi-Fi, what, what do you think um, in your time as a CEO you're most proud about? Obviously, it, we're so judged by our financial performance and, you know, you can look at the share price. I think when I took over, it was $15 and as we all know, they go up and they go down in between, but, you know, call it $50 by the time I finish. And, and so you can naturally be proud as a team how we've made a major acquisition. You know, we've seen the market cap go from, you know, one and a half billion to, to you know, close to six billion. And so I personally feel proud of that. I, I, I love that the team and being part of the team, we've achieved that. But then I look, it's, you know, and the one thing about a transition, you know, I, I guess we made the announcement um, back in April, you know, and it's a bit strange in COVID doing a transition. Farewells aren't going that well at the moment. Um, the, but the, 
just the individual team members that have sought me out and those things that I never thought were that profound. Mm. Um, I guess I've always just, um, you know, I, I think people who know me well know I'm not short of uh, I can be at times a little verbose. I can I need to learn to continue to refine my comments, but I'm pretty genuine. I'm pretty authentic. I'd like to think I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so I guess the feedback I've got from the team is at times, you know, really pointed examples of where something I did was impactful on them or was consistent with, I guess, the culture. And so, you know, when we continued to, you know, store to door, you know, that was just one of those comments. I said, guys, we, we can't stand our team down. You know, and impl- uh, with all due respect to Australia Post mm-hmm. and Toll, you know, my primary responsibility is to the JB team. And so I said, well, if we're shut, we've got all these yes. people, we need to keep them busy. And to think that at one point we'd basically spun up an Uber, you know, workforce of 100 drivers driving our own vans. The, those decisions where you feel like you've you've walked the talk because, mm-hmm. you know, there are, you know, at times you have to make tough decisions and sometimes, not that they're unethical, but you know, there are financial imperatives for the business and you need to balance those with the culture. And I, I feel the, hopefully that JB, the JB and Good Guys team look at us and say the board, the executive team, the management team, the decisions they've made throughout COVID, we have held ourselves, tried to hold ourselves to the highest standard, not just safety, but we've actually talked the talk. And, and the feedback at the moment seems to be pretty consistent with that. It's been a great opportunity for the good guys team to feel part of the bigger JB family. And so that's something that's really exciting and I think a great legacy for the business. Mm. And when I look back also, you know, um, it was publicised in the paper, which wasn't ideal, but um, Greg Ferran, who who was at Woolworths, went to run Walmart in the US, probably one of Australia's most successful retailers and yes. just uh, just such a top top bloke uh, now running in New Zealand. You know, I had the opportunity to go and meet with him when he was running Walmart and talk about the experience of Amazon launching in the US or the experience of competing with Amazon in the US and, um, and you know, his perspectives. He'd been involved in a range of retail businesses in Australia. But, you know, one thing I love about retail in Australia is people really support each other and they're happy to share their learnings with people as they come up and, and share yes. those, those experiences and how JB... As a team, we rallied, you know, our stores, our support office, we rallied and said, you know, we're really proud of the position we have um, in the Australian market. We're really proud of how we deliver to our customers and how we um, invested and, and, and prepared for a changing competitive landscape, mm. be it um, Amazon or others, I think has stood us in great stead and also showed a lot about how the organisation can pivot and chase something down and really deliver to customers and and shareholders. Well, congratulations on your results. And I know you're much loved at JB Hi-Fi and um, the premium investment teams, uh, you know, you've got lots to look forward to when you start. So um, hopefully, um, you know, you'll, the momentum you've you've created will just continue through, albeit in different categories, but um, amazing work, Richard. So congratulations. Now I'm going to move um, pace a little bit and let's go back to where it all began. What was it like growing up for you? I was I was very lucky, you know. I had um, uh, my dad was a school teacher at, at the school I went to. Um, you know, mum for uh, up until actually she went to back to work um, when I was in about year ten because I wanted to go overseas on exchange, and you know my parents weren't particularly well off, so mum went back to work to pay for me to go overseas, and um, so as I you know as you do with your parents every now and again you they frustrate you, but I I always sit there and go. The sacrifices my parents made were just 
just amazing. And so I had a sister two years younger, a sister four years younger. You know, we're still very close as a family. Um, I grew up in uh, in Mitcham in the outer suburbs of Victoria. In some ways, I haven't um, I haven't gone very far, uh, but I've had some. You know, just I guess those. What are the things that uh, you know in life stand you in good stead? Um, I probably look back now and go when I don't follow my heart or my gut. Usually, I, you sort of know in your heart the right decision, or you know yes. in your gut something's going wrong. Every time I don't listen to that, I find myself usually kicking myself later. Um, I've always, I thought to myself, if I ever, if something ever goes pear shaped with my career, I just want to be able to look at people and say, I, I always made the right, I made the right decision, and I did it with integrity and ethics. Mm. Um, you know, I do sometimes get a bit perplexed how, um, you know, the we have a great dynamic with our board. Um, I think that we're really lucky. We had a our IP, so we had sort of Richard Utrich who led the business from IPO. Then we had Terry who who is coming back to take take back the CEO role after me at JB. You know, both Terry and Richard been massive part of my career. Um, you know, a guy Patrick Elliott who was at Macquarie who led the the private equity investment in JB and continued on as chairman. He's still someone I. I rate off the charts and and uh, a guy, Jim King and, and Greg Richards, who were uh, chairman subsequent and Greg's been chairman for my entire time as CEO just in the la- in June last year, handing over to Stephen Goddard, who mm. I know you know well, Paul. Mm. Um, so we're really lucky at JB that the board and management team, um, you know, there's some things the board needs to achieve. Obviously, the management team doesn't feel we get paid enough and the board feels <laughs> they probably pay a lot. Um, so every now and again, we have some robust discussions. But as to what we're trying to achieve as a team, we're really lucky um, how we work together. And I, I think that stood when you, when you say, you know, where did it all start? And I think about my childhood. I just think we just call a spade a spade. And, yeah. you know, I, went, I loved my time at Deloitte. I had 10 years, five years in audit, five years in corporate finance, and my best mate's a partner at Deloitte. So, you know, I've got a lot of time for Deloitte, as in it, I, I always look back and think I was very fortunate. But, you know, you uh, in a world of consulting, you can overcomplicate things. You know, you turn up at JB um, and the first, my first, I was 26. I probably didn't have a lot of experience managing people as much as I'm sure I told JB I did. And, you know, I had to let the mailroom lady go because um, it wasn't working out. I'm like, first week I fired somebody. I mean, you know, what's this? What's this running a business? And all that I hope when I make those tough decisions that people look at me and go, you've done it with respect and you've done it with integrity and you've tried to recognize if someone's leaving a business, the business continues on the next day. But that person's probably had one of the worst experiences in their life. And so I just try, even when I have to make tough decisions, I hope in time that the person would look back and go, well, they did that the best they could, even though they had to make a tough call. So, so what drew you to, to retail? What, what, was, what was in your blood at the time that actually sort of got you involved and you know, allowed your career to progress really from, you know, from finance into um, the CEO of an yeah. ASX-listed company? Well, if you think about so. I did have an opportunity to get to know JB. So I did have a, a chance to try before you buy. So I was working on the float. So I got married. We came back. So September 11, I was on my honeymoon in Paris on September 11. And, and I think we'll all remember where we were. And so when um, when we came back, JB was attempting to float and, and you know the equity markets weren't there. So roll forward to 2003, when we did get the float away, I, I'd been involved with the business. The then CFO left. 
Um, and to be honest, they were looking for someone a lot more experienced, um, also a lot more expensive. Um, and I said to Terry, you know, I'd love to give this a bell. Um, and he said, oh, we're looking for a brand name CFO. And suddenly then they called me in. So obviously the, uh, the, then they, Rich and Terry sat me down and said, well, we need an accountant. And I said, well, the good thing is I'm one of those. Um, <laughs> they went, right, you're in. And, and I think I look back now with, uh, and and what was in Richard's mind or Patrick or Terry at the time, they're just pretty good judge of people. Mm. And so um, obviously I assume I ticked the boxes that I knew enough about accounting. Um, but, you know, you get some really interesting feedback. I had some people say, well, you know, I'm not sure how you'll go in retail. Well, we're about to find out. So, <laughs> um, but, but the thing is, if you're passionate, so I'm passionate about business. Like I love, I read the financial review, the, you know, the business section of the Australian, even when I'm on holidays, because I just enjoy business. Um, I love, and, you know, you and I have talked about this often, I mean, because you know, getting you into the ARA was, um, you know, so I want people to be proud of Australia's retail sector. We are the largest employer. You know, we sometimes don't have the voice of someone who's the largest employer. We, we give everyone their first job, basically, for most people. Uh, you know, my daughter's working at Bunnings at the moment and she gets these great lessons. I get a lot of feedback at home about what JB can do better. But, um, you know, the, the be it a job in a cafe, your first retail, these are, the. it's not, yes, I appreciate people want to get paid, but these are life experiences yes. that I want. My children having a boss, good and bad. Um, and so, you know, I think the Australian retail sector, we employ, you know, a lot of women when we're in, a, in an area where we're trying to talk about um, you know, diversity and inclusion and and gender diversity particularly. Um, you know, we've got so much to be proud of and we do so much well. Mm. Sometimes the things we can improve on, people spend more time on. So, um, you know, I know a number of us have been trying to make sure that voice in retail is acknowledged as something we should be really proud of. Yeah, and, and all credit to you. I think we should talk about the Australian Retailers Association because you had a big part in my appointment, but equally in the growth in the ARA, I'd be just keen to understand what what drove you to get to get that outcome. What was your what was your burning drive there to to make such a change? Well, let me let me maybe talk to what you're doing well and what we weren't. So when I hear you on the radio and you're presenting the case for retail, I feel proud of what we're doing. Um, prior, we didn't always put our best foot forward, and and I appreciate in saying that I may I might be construed as making criticisms. Um, but we weren't for government. I mean, the ARA is unashamedly the leading retail organisation in the country. And I know this sounds like a paid advertisement, but a number of us have put in blood, sweat and tears to making sure that we have the relationships with government. And, you know, we represent all retailers, big and small. But the reality is the big retailers fund a lot of the bills. And we know that as big retailers, we want you know, tomorrow's retailers to be successful because small business is the engine room of the economy. Mm. And so selfishly, big business um, knows that we need a strong performing small business sector to have a strong performing economy. And if it's a good economy, it's good for retail. But what I think often we've not presented well is all the terrific work that the retail sector does, you know, uh, training people, you know, we've got the most flexible hours, we spend so much time training both life skills and, and technical skills. You know, a, a 15-year-old getting their first job and saying, guess what? You might go out, um, you know, it might have a, a great day Christmas Christmas day, but you got to be there at Boxing Day at 5 a.m. And that teaches people that, you know, work ethic, 
And I acknowledge that a lot of things have progressed in time, but, you know, I still think hard work. Um, I, I don't want people working 24 hours a day, but there's a lot to be said for hard work and the commitment you make to an organisation and partnering with that organisation. I've had, I've worked at Deloitte. I did 10 years there. It was awesome 10 years. I, you know, I look back over the last 18 years at JB, but I feel like I have worked hard. When the organisations ask me to step up, I feel like I've stepped up. And I just hope that, you know, I've got uh, children 12, 15, 16, 18, and that's all I instill in them because I often hear what the organisation is doing for its team and that's really an important conversation. Mm-hmm. But also I just sometimes feel what we're missing nowadays is what 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 is that social contract or that contract with our employer um, because, you know, I think it's a competitive labour market and, um, yes, that makes it tough for recruiting at the moment, but there's also got to be some reciprocity. Uh, most 99% of Australian companies work so hard to reward and retain their staff yes. and not suggesting we're all perfect. But I sometimes feel like, you know, there are countries that are working harder. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to walk away from the high living standards and the we hold ourselves very accountable in Australia mm. and that's absolutely as it should be. I just want to make sure we don't, our children don't grow up thinking that this lucky country, we just get off track because we've got so much to be proud of but I just hope we teach everyone that hard work is still really important. Uh, absolutely, and look, I think just um, just on that, I think you've you've, you've had a, you've had such an important part to play in creating such a diverse community within the ARA and uh, you know we go from hairdressing to hardware from food to fashion and you've had a large part to play and I want to make sure that you're you know you understand that and get credited for the work that you've done because um, you know it's been really um, noted by everybody and um, particularly around leading the CEO forum which brings all those CEOs together so uh, and there's definitely um, there's a great passion and sense of work ethic that comes through in everything that you do so what wanted to, to make sure we just call that out we'll be right back after this show Is it possible to use your business card to pay your suppliers in dollars, pounds, euros, krona, yuan, francs? It's possible with Platinum. Enroll into Access Line and pay virtually anyone in over 110 currencies. The American Express Platinum Business Card. With 400,000 bonus points when you apply by 6th of October 2021 and spend $12,000 in the first three months. American Express. Don't do business without it. New card members only. Terms and conditions apply. I want to talk a little bit now just about leadership as we're moving into a little bit more of a, a deeper conversation and understanding a little bit, Richard, around a day in a life for you. What does a normal day look like? You know, when do you get up? What's on the agenda? Well, there's what I'd like to say and what happens. So I always get up at six. I'm a bit, I am, it seems all retailers are early birds. So I've always found it easier to get things done in the morning um, and uh, as I've got a bit older, I haven't always wanted to work till 10 o'clock at night. So I find that if I get to work early, I sort of get the decks cleared. Then by 9 o'clock, 8.30, it's normally pretty full on. There's just the CEO role is very bitsy. Um, you do need to absolutely find time. And, uh, you know, the greatest trap for a retailer is getting caught not going out to stores. You've really got to find time to get out to your stores. Mm. So basically, you know, whether you call it management by walking around, just staying in touch with the troops, talking to customers, you know, shopping your own products, but also, you know, more importantly, shopping um, your competitors. So, you know, I constantly purchase stuff online with with um, Amazon or others because I want to understand 
what how their shopping experience is versus the JB experience. Yes. You know, the, the classic example is I think it was Warren Buffett, but I might, I might be wrong. You know, he used to say, I don't, you know, all the airlines get free upgrades. All the executives travel first class. I want you traveling economy with your competitors to mm. understand. And that's as you get more senior and people get more used to the possibly some of the benefits of being a senior executive, it's very easy to stray. And um, I think that's, you know, what, what I love about JB, which is just one of these unbottleable qualities, is the DNA of the organisation makes sure it, it nearly won't let you get ahead of yourself. And that is something very special that I hope JB, it's, it's been there before me and I w- would be disappointed if it's not there afterwards. It's just this, this accountability to the organisation around um, sort of the moral compass um you know if if anything i feel like sort of over my shoulder when i'm making some of these decisions is is this this jb ethical or 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 or, you know the the sort of all the goodness in jb that yellow blood we talk about internally just the the, nearly this person that's the combination of the best of jb people that i've met over the years are sort of saying what would be the right decision for the business and i think that's that's really important when i think about leadership if you think about it, did leadership come naturally to you? Did you always have the ambitions to get to the top? So, no, I never – it wasn't that I wanted to be CEO. I, I was driven to be successful. I um, And I can – you know, I won't talk to it, but I had a salary I wanted to achieve um, and I probably exceeded that more than I did. But that wasn't really – it was more – I. I wanted to be part of an organisation that I loved and I loved my time at Deloitte and I loved my time at JB. Um, I wanted to be proud, but I was happy to work hard. So if I was challenged, and that was the nice thing. I think when I was started at JB at CFO, we turned over $400 million. The debt facility was um, uh, $40 million. You know, when we bought the good guys, we borrowed $400 million four or $500 million. We raised four or $500 million. Um, yes, there's some extra zeros there. But, you know, the job I had as CFO, every couple of years changed. Mm. And so when the organisation was, you know, 500 people to 2,500 people to 5,000 to um, 12,000 today, there's some things that stay the same mm. and there's other things that get more complicated. Um, and so when I think about, um, sort of the role of CEO. Um, you know, I remember when the chairman walked in when Terry had resigned. It was news to me, and he said Terry's decided to retire, um, which is a bad idea. That's why it's good to have him back. <laughs> back. Um, and um, and I remember sitting there going, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, the board said, you know, you're our our candidate, and so I was really proud of that. But at the same time, I I didn't spend my time seeking it because I think. The way you probably get to jobs like that is you just do the best you do. Um, yes, you should network and you shouldn't let others take credit for what you do. And you should, I mean, you, I don't think you can be a shrinking violet. But if you sit there going, I've got this roadmap to CEO, uh, mm. that, that I don't know that you could plan it that well, but yes. you shouldn't. So to be clear, I mm. approached Terry about the CFO role. So I didn't, I would never have got that role. Mm if I hadn't offered myself. And so, you know, I, I think I could have had a great career at Deloitte, um, but I, I think I've also tried to be um, strategic without being sort of a megalomaniac mm. about, you know, 
So if I was to, if you know, if someone was listening to this podcast and they're in a finance team or they're a buyer, I think you do need to put, don't put your hand up when the role is advertised. Yeah. If you, because otherwise nobody thinks, so people have got so much on and, and to be honest, the biggest challenge you've got is there's always five people for one role, you know, and if you've got a stable workforce, sometimes these opportunities don't present themselves every day. And so you need to make sure that not only your immediate supervisor, but in a perfect world, the next level is um, is aware that you've got ambitions. And, and I think that can be, it doesn't have to be profound. You know, I've had people sort of circumvent three levels of command and come and see me and it's always a bit messy. I think the you just find, I know Richard goes down and has coffee at the coffee shop. One time you just sidle up and say, Hey, Richard, you know, I just want to let you know, I really love working at JB. And if there's any other opportunities, I think I've got a lot more to offer. Mm. Um, and, and so that you're on, because I don't think you can just leave your career up to chance. No. Um, do, do you think so? Um, but I don't think, sorry. No, no, I was going to say, well, do you think as those numbers grew and you were, as you're growing in your job and those, that debt facility started to get bigger, did you, did you lose sleep at all? I've never really lost sleep. I didn't, the first six months, of the CEO role was very full on. Um, and I acknowledge I didn't sleep very well. I And those that know me well would say, um, I probably took on a bit too much at the start. I was trying to be all things to all people. And that, that absolutely, you, you, there's, a, there's, there's a few, sorry, there's a candle and you can't do it both. No. Um, I remember I went on a trade show thing and, there was all the stuff during the day and there was all these functions at night and the team was doing stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll do the, I'd do the breakfast meeting when everyone else was asleep. And then I'd do the stuff during the day and then I'd go out with the team at night. And after four nights, I'm just exhausted. And I got to a meeting one afternoon and one of my colleagues literally had to prop me up. And yeah, that, that wasn't my best moment. Um, and so you just sit there going, you can only, you can only do so much. And I, I back myself on my capacity but you don't make great decisions when you're exhausted. So no. you, you said sort of what's a typical day earlier as a CEO? Mm. You, you as, a, as a leader, you need time in your day. You need time to think. And often I will go and get a coffee and read a document in the middle of the day just because if I'm in my office and I have an open door policy that I need to find time to think. I also am very comfortable, and this is the most under-resourced thing in Australian corporate life, if you're a CFO and you call another CFO, they will basically take your call. If they don't, more fool them. And the CEO, most people will take your phone call. And you go, I remember I got a, we were talking to travel providers. And this travel provider goes, we do X, we do Y, we do Z. Oh, and that's great. In the back of my mind, I know all those three people. And I called them all and they said, they're terrible. And then the guy said to me, when we missed out, I said, well, mate, actually, your reference checks were terrible. What do you mean? We didn't give you reference checks. I said, well, you cited these three companies. I called them all. And they said, you were terrible. And they went, he went, oh, I can't believe you would call people. And I just think still communication, still picking up the phone, and that's where ARA is so important because mm. I get the network of all these CEOs where I saw that in your store, that's fantastic, or I was speaking to one of your staff members, that's awesome. And, you know, sometimes I go, actually, it looks a little bit better than it is. The reality is probably we've got a lot of people peddling in the background or, yeah, we found this service provider, they're awesome. And actually, you know, most people just, you know, the, the thing with retail, which I think is very different to most sectors is good retail is good retail. And so people are really, people are proud to be retailers. Those, even someone as me who, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, 
I didn't grow up in the stores. I know the importance of the stores and I will fearlessly defend the stores and what we achieve in store versus when everyone's wanting to, you know, it's digital and it's online. But I, you know, I didn't work in a store. So I actually find it more incumbent on me than most to make sure I understand how the store teams work and what works in a store. Because to be honest, there's times at, including myself at support office, we overcomplicate things. Mm -hmm. And then I vividly remember we, printed 8,000 copies of a form and made a mistake and everyone was getting rather stressed. And we called one of the store admin leaders and I said to that person, I said, listen, we've stuffed up, got all these forms. She And I said, look, what do you think we should do? We're all a bit stressed. She goes, we'll just cross it out and write the right thing in there and people <laughs> fill out the form. And I sat there to this day, I vividly remember that going, there's always a simple solution. Sometimes mm. there's a very complicated question to get to that simple solution. You spoke um, just before about um, stepping into the CEO's role, and that's the time you found the most sort of challenging. I think most CEOs would would agree that I think, you know, often I describe it, um, it's not like one step up, is it, Richard? It's it's like 12. So you sort of step in, you've got lots to learn in a very short period of time. Everybody's sort of looking for you for answers. Um, and you sort of slightly feel exposed, I guess, because you're trying to work through um, uh, you know, where, who's important, who's not so important and how do you get through all the demands on you? And, and I guess now when you reflect a little bit at your time as a CEO at JB Hi-Fi, what do you think you've learned about yourself since being in that leadership lesson? That you, you What's been the most obvious thing that you've learned about yourself? Um, so I generally take a view you can't change who you are. So you, you kind of, I, I sense there's a point between 25 and 45 where it's wide. Maybe it's wide at 25. Mm. So I remember uh, a CEO at Deloitte once, Guillaume Swigers, once said, look, you, you're your own best judge of who you are. And you know what you don't do well and you know what you do well. So kind of lean into that. Um, the, the lessons I've learned are the CEO can't lose their cool. So everybody else, I'm not saying it's appropriate, but just about everyone else can lose their cool, except the CEO. So if you lose your cool, you pay for it tenfold anybody else. So you can have your whole exec team having a Barney and then you come over the top and lose it and go, everyone needs to grow up. That's not something I would say, but just trying to cut to the chase. That has such a material income. So one of the things I've learned is how do you make the point? Because, you, you know, the thing is leadership is you've got the power. How you choose to use it is actually the exercise of leadership. You are the CEO. There is no ambiguity. Now, how you choose to encourage people to be their best and, and you know, the reality is 215 JB stores open every morning. 100 good guys, 104 good guys stores open every morning. And I have absolutely nothing to do with it. So if these stores can magically open each morning, I must have a whole bunch of people that know what they're doing. So to think that I can suddenly roll up my sleeves and solve these problems, I just set the door. I try and work with my exec team to identify the problems, identify what we reasonably think we can solve, and hopefully put enough, um, some structure, but also empowerment so that somebody can say to me, Richard, that's not working. I know you think that's working and I know that's your little baby and I know you're really, really excited about it. But just so you know, it's not working. And everyone's telling you what you want to hear. It's just not working. And so I remember once, um, and it's stuck in my head, talking to a CFO when I was a CFO and they said, 
oh, we wouldn't tell the CEO that, like that, heaven forbid. And I'm like, what do you mean? I said, well, he wouldn't want to hear that because that's sort of not in in line with his sort of mantra. Um, and, you know, that project's successful, whether it is or not. And I thought, oh, my God, how did you get to a point where you tell the CEO what he wants to hear? And, you know, for what it's worth, that company's not going so well at the moment. And I look back and I think that I, I remember saying to guys, please never tell me what I want to hear. Um, I don't always enjoy the feedback, yeah. uh, but I think my team would say the feedback that they feel comfortable giving the feedback um, and and that I, you know, I do try and seek it um, because if you can get people to give it to you, it's very hard to get good feedback as CEO. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and I was going to say feedback you can really do something with. Yeah. Um, People, because I, but the but the thing also, and you asked earlier about those lessons. That statement at a store, ma- that one liner at a store management conference, where probably two hundred store managers at JB plus a hundred, three hundred people hear that one line that you didn't, you sort of probably misjudged. Mm. I, I've now just got, hang on, guys. Actually, can I just be clear? I, I probably didn't package that exactly how I like. What I was trying to say was this: because yes. that one message that doesn't sit right everybody remembers and the 10 messages that were on message, they kind of forget. So mm. you, organizational communications nowadays is so tricky because there's so much noise. We've all got, you know, Yammer, which is a kind of, you know, corporate Facebook, et cetera. All this is so much noise going to your employees trying to cut through. Yes. And and these why something like a podcast is fantastic because they just hear it from you. There's no... Um, you know, hopefully it's not sort of scripted, but if you genuinely and you know, CEOs have town halls, it's just it's all it's all a way to to hope to make your employees feel that you hear them and you want to hear them, and that they're part of something bigger than just their job. If you had your retail career over again, is there anything you'd do differently? Oh, look, you know, there's a million things I'd do differently. Um, I can think about. You know, the, like my gaffes, my, you know, <laughs> my little things I've said when I, you know, you're just in the adrenaline of the moment where you went, whoops. Um, I'll, you know, there's very few people, um, you know, it's, you, you know, it. I, I, I put it, put my heart and soul into merging the ARA and the NRA and we were left at the altar and I just, I'll, to be honest, go to my grave just sort of pondering how that occurred. Um, I look at going through um, acquisitions we've made and they're tough, but, you know, we, we, we get there. Um, I, when I look back and think, um, I, I don't want to, I, it's so disrespectful to people who have grown up in retail and the stores. It's just, I think a great combination of people who have grown up in stores and people with external experience in a world of digital and omni-channel and, and just, you know, retail, God love it yes. when customers just walk, went to, used to walk into your store and pick up a product and take it to the counter. They they were so good. Life, now life was simpler. Like, their life was so much simpler. Now I want this product and one's in a warehouse and one's in the store and I'd like it home delivered. But actually, no, I want to change mine. I'm going to come and do click and collect this afternoon. Is it ready? And some some poor person in IT has to, del- to, to build this system that just deals. I mean, customers effectively are asking us to design IT systems that think as fluidly as the human brain, which is an awesome challenge. But having having tried to achieve it, it's incredibly hard. Um, and I often say to people, if you think about a website, right, if you walk into a JB Hi-Fi store, you will inc- 
really quickly, you'll go, TVs are over there, computers are over there, Apple's there, accessories are there. You kind of get it, right? Because the human brain just absorbs it really quickly. On a website, you know, that that UX is so important. And um, trying to design a website that can deal with the amount of complexity the human brain deals with in a retail format yeah, is not without, you know, is, is the holy grail. And, and even the best websites in the world, I still dispute um, that it's still, sorry, we still don't do it as well as the consumer walking into our stores. And that's really the holy grail. You can get it like you, you pull up a website, it's like walking into your store and it's got all the, the authenticity or the energy or the simplicity of your store environment um, hopefully without the rent bill, um, <laughs> is a good outcome. Well, well look, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. My last question to you today is uh, if you could give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Uh, slow down and, 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 and oh, I'm going to regret saying this and j- listen, like it's just the less you talk, the more you listen your staff know all the answers or your team knows all the answers. Your job as CEO is just to get it out of them and, and or sorry, get them out of them, nearly provide the platform for them to be their best. If, if you've got all your staff being their best, it's the easiest job in the world being CEO. If, you know, that, and I think that's, oh, sorry, I may, maybe take it back from being a CEO, being a leader, but whether you're, a, you know, if you as a parent can let your kids be their best, you know, you've got to give them enough rope to learn. You know, I, I, I'm sure I can do better at that. So fundamentally, if my younger self and if I was also, I, I think just taking care of you in the sense of with such a big focus on mental health, which is at, what, this, you know, that, that thing, I'm sure pings up on yours, Paul, um, the, the thing when your phone says you've spent X amount of time each day on your phone. Now, let's be honest. Phones are really important to JB's business. So absolutely, everyone who's thinking they need a new one, you absolutely do. But <laughs> the, 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 techno, the amount of time, so technology has become so important, means we're connected all the time. You know, you can pull it up. I can see where the kids are. I feel really comfortable because I can let them go out and do something because if something goes wrong, you, you know how to help them out. Um, but at the same time, you know, you go out to dinner and the phone's pinging and things are happening. You're just trying to have some downtime. And my year 12 daughter, Sophia, showed me an app the other day where it's, I think it's actually called downtime or something. This is not a paid advertisement. That basically, she can switch the phone off and all her apps turn off. But the funny thing is, she said, but dad, you know, some of those apps I actually need for school. So the irony is we're trying to get away from technology, yes. but with such a massive part of our life, um, we have trouble getting away from it. So I... I to my younger self, I would say, um, take care of you because um, you know I'm 45. I can't. I've, I and I know that some would say young, but you know my daughter's 18, um, so she's already an adult. She's got mm-hmm. a car and she's finishing year 12 this year. Gobsmacked how quickly that's gone. So smell the roses. Make sure you look after both your physical and mental health um, because you're never going to get yet your last year back. Um, but also listen to your team. They've got all the answers and um, trust your gut. It doesn't often send me wrong. Some great advice there and a really lovely way to, to end. It's a, been a pleasure talking to you today, Richard, and I guess want to thank you for what you do for the industry and for the Australian Retailers Association specifically and your 
demonstrated leadership um, in in the in that area. And I want to thank you again for for joining us today in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Congratulations on all your success at JB Hi-Fi, and good luck with the next chapter at Premier Investments. Paul, love everything you're doing with you and the ARA team. Love being part of it and love supporting it. And thank you. Um, and to anybody else listening out there who's working in retail, we've got the most amazing industry with so many opportunities. So the world's your oyster. And uh, thanks very much for listening today. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry.